Good Tuesday morning to all of you and welcome to the very first episode of Science Factual, a show about the facts behind your favorite science fiction. This show is so new, it's still in the box, where it will remain because only dummies take something this awesome out of the box. I'm your host, Reese Hendricks, certified sci-fi nerd, comedian, and digital privateer, you can find me on the Instagram machine at reese underscore comedy dot exe. You open up that file, might get a fun little virus. I don't know. You'll have to find out. Thanks for tuning in this fine Portland fall morning. It is a beautiful one. Now, throughout the series, uh, we will be researching television shows, movies, books, graphic novels, and a lot more. Our sources are varied but as far as we can tell, verified, bringing you the juiciest morsels you may or may not know about your favorite sci-fi. For our inaugural show, to break the champagne, so to speak, we delve into one of my favorites, Star Trek, the original series, arguably one of the most important sci-fi shows of all time. This visionary series has a lot to unpack, And since this is only an hour-long show, I will provide you with the cream of the crop, the creme de la creme, and spare you the history of the Tribbles, for now. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! This is a spoiler alert, everybody. Uh, Now, just because the show has been readily available for viewing to anyone with their cousin's Netflix login and an internet connection, not to mention being aired syndicated and archived since 1966 doesn't mean everyone has seen the series or every episode. Even though everyone should, so consider yourselves spoiled by this alert. But before we get too far into one of the most prolific series in television history, let's delve into some facts about the creator of the series, Gene Roddenberry. Gene, or Eugene Wesley Roddenberry, was born August 11, 1921, in El Paso, Texas, to Eugene Edward Roddenberry and Caroline Glenn Roddenberry. Um, really original. You guys really, uh, really setting the bar in 19, the roaring 20s with, with another Gene. Uh, after going to school, he ended up in the Army Air Corps, Uh, when in 1943 he inadvertently caused a plane crash that killed two of his fellow servicemen in a fluke accident, uh, which was actually not directly attributed to Roddenberry. This event ironically caused him to pursue a career as a plane crash investigator. Now, as someone who has personally uh, survived, not a plane crash, but a car crash, I can tell you the last thing I would do is become a crash investigator, just constantly reliving that PTSD. But, uh, I guess Roddenberry was from a special, uh, special breed because, uh, coincidentally, Roddenberry would go on to survive another plane crash, this time, however, as a passenger, before continuing his aviation career as a pilot with Pan Am where Gene would be involved in his third plane crash in nearly as many years. Now, in 1947, when the plane he was flying for Pan Am over the Syrian desert went down, 
Gene taking control of the situation on the ground after the captain was rendered incapacitated after the crash. Uh, you know, Roddenberry himself, he actually suffered multiple wounds, including, including two broken ribs, and despite this, was surely responsible for saving the lives of several people after dragging them from the wreckage of the crash. Now, it's suffice to say that Gene's aviation career came to an end after these series of incidents, uh, but that's because he went on to become the first television writer to earn a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which is now home to street trash, urine, and hepatitis C outbreaks, but back in the day did actually mean something. I mean, Roddenberry was kind of a big deal. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would muse that his, his apartment smelled of rich mahogany. Uh, he had many leather-bound books. Um, but before all that, uh, he, Roddenberry did give it a go at a number of other series as a writer, including Lu The Lieutenant, uh, but we'll get to all of that in a second. Roddenberry almost got his start in writing for a television show called Riverboat which was about a late 19th century America centered around, you guessed it, the goings-on of a riverboat called, uh, coincidence, the Enterprise. Now, Roddenberry was outspoken about his beliefs regarding racial inclusivity, and when he saw that there wasn't going to be a single black character of any significance on a show that was set closely after the Civil War came to a close and in the American West, he voiced his opinions passionately, which in turn got him fired before he wrote a single scene. Uh, Roddenberry did see some early success, however, with a show called The Lieutenant. Sci-fi wasn't so hot at the time. So, Roddenberry successfully pitched this more mainstream-themed show surrounding the lives of, a, of Corps members amid the backdrop of the Cold War. As it turns out, seven actors, including Roddenberry's future wife and major influence across more than three subsequent series, Majel Barrett, who after retiring from the screen itself went on to voice the computer in every subsequent TV series before the new Trek, quote, new Trek age, these new Trekkies, these whippersnappers. Uh, you know, so star of the Lieutenant Gary Lockwood would go on to feature actually in the second Star Trek pilot, which we'll also get to in a minute, uh, while Leonard Nimoy, who played Spock, Nichelle Nichols, who would go on to play Lieutenant Uhura, and fellow bridge crew member Walter Koenig, who played Ensign Pavel Chekhov, uh, not to mention the infamous Khan Noonien Singh, Khan! famously portrayed by Ricardo Montalban in Star Trek II. Roddenberry would go on to develop the idea for Star Trek, which was loosely inspired by the novel and subsequent film Master of the World by Jules Verne author of another uh, sci-fi classic, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Master of the World is about the crew of an airship that travels the world desperately trying to get rid of all weapons of mass destruction. Now, that's a grossly oversimplified synopsis of this super-engaging and influential novel by Jules Verne, definitely worth a read. The 1961 film is debatably watchable. 
sourcing from a script by Roddenberry that never made it to air called Wild Blue, Gene Roddenberry used parts of the names of characters from that script for characters that eventually ended up in Star Trek, for instance. In Wild Blue, we have Philip Pike, who would go on, of course, to be Captain Christopher Pike in the original pilots and in the more recent Discovery series. And James T. Irvine, who was the name inspiration behind, of course, Captain James T. Kirk, although it is unclear as to whether this character's middle name stood for Tiberius, like Kirk's does, or otherwise. Now, this is just a section of the fascinating realm of facts surrounding the creator and creation of the show. I encourage you to check out Star Trek Creator, the authorized biography of Gene Roddenberry by David Alexander, which is jam-packed with information. But now let's shift our focus to the actual show, looking at iconic moments and the actors who played the bridge crew of good old NCC 1701, no bloody A, B, C, or D, and eventually E, the Enterprise, taking us, quote, where no man has gone before. Which, by the way, the actual phrase is as follows. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Which, even for the 1960s, was pretty out there. So let's get to a few show facts, starting with the basics. Now, the show first officially aired on September 26, 1966 on NBC, but there was an original pilot entitled quote, The Cage, or, quote, Menagerie, depending on who you're asking, where the bridge crew may seem a bit unfamiliar to most. That's because it's centered around an away mission led by Captain Christopher Pike, played by Jeffrey Hunter, who did not return to the series afterward. However, featured in this first pilot was Majel Barrett, who played number one, and Leonard Nimoy as Spock who would become major players in not only the original series, but subsequent series and movies as well. The second pilot featuring the bridge crew we all know and love today aired with the title Where No Man Has Gone Before, starring William Shatner as James T. Kirk, who would go on to command the Enterprise through all three seasons, save one instance in Season 2, Episode 6, where he's unseated by Commodore Matt Decker, who is bent on destroying the Doomsday Machine at any and all costs, including his own probably wasted life. There are 79 episodes, not including the original two pilot episodes involving Pike, spanning three seasons from September 1966 all the way through June 1969, but we will get to that as well. Star Trek actually almost never got off the ground, with multiple studios having received the concept well, but none really taking the bait, Roddenberry ended up pitching to Desilu Studios. Now, this studio may sound familiar because it was originally started by co-stars and then husband-wife Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball, hence the name of the studio. 
Ball later took over the studio after the couple's divorce, and by the time Star Trek came to their doors, she did give the ultimate green light, along with other producers, for the show. However, it is rumored at first that Lucille Ball didn't have a deep understanding of the show's concept, believing that it was a traveling USO show of the stars, meaning that she, sight unseen, unknowingly bankrolled one of the most influential sci-fi shows of all time. Star Trek would go on to be highly influential in the lives of nerds, geeks, inside kids, but also in regards to social and political commentary during the height of the Cold War. As I previously mentioned, Gene Roddenberry had a penchant for racial inclusivity, and this idea was largely present in Star Trek overall. Now, even though the captain of the Enterprise was a white man, the bridge crew was exceedingly diverse for its time. There was Nichelle Nichols as Lieutenant Nyota Uhura, whose character natively spoke Swahili and hailed from the United States of Africa. Nichols, both a woman and black, playing a major television role in the 60s was a rarity, with the first television show of a starring role being a black female in Julia, the title character played by Diane Carroll in 1968. Also present on the bridge was George Takei, a.k.a. Lieutenant Commander Hikaru Sulu, who at the time was one of only a few Japanese-American actors working in sci-fi and certainly the highest-ranking minority in Star Trek canon at that time. Cultural inclusivity was also present, and during the height of the Cold War, in the second season, we are introduced to Pavel Andreevich Chekhov, portrayed by Walter Koenig. And having a Russian on the bridge was a big deal for a show in the 1960s. It was even rumored, but never substantiated, that this was a nod from the entertainment industry to the public about a clandestine secret space program that was under development between the U.S. and the USSR, despite the very publicized space race. But we're going to have to save that rabbit hole for a conspiracy episode. Coincidence? With racial inclusivity, social and political commentary as parts of the structure of the show, it's no wonder that Star Trek boasts a few firsts, none of which are more awesome than the first interracial kiss on television, taking place between Captain Kirk and Lieutenant Uhura during Season 3, Episode 10, Plato's Stepchildren. Kirk and Uhura are forced by human-like aliens posing as the ancient Greek gods, uh, which bend the will of their subjects. In Nichols' book, Beyond Uhura, Star Trek, and Other Memories, she elaborates that she and Shatner flubbed up lines in order to force the producers to accept the first scene in which Kirk and Uhura kiss, something that producers were hesitant to move forward with due to the social stigma of interracial relationships at the time. Countering the production staff's fear of extreme blowback, the episode, which aired without major incident, got the most amount of fan mail that any episode had received up to that point. Star Trek is also attributed for either directly influencing or at least foreshadowing the development of a lot of the technology that we do use today, turning science fiction into science fact. Communicators can be equated to modern cell phones. Translation and comms devices can be likened to Bluetooth and other translation devices that are under development. And tricorders are echoed by recent developments in mobile health technology, primarily by GE with their mobile sonogram. Over 125 video games based on 
every series from the original all the way through to a mobile game called Timelines that covers every active Star Trek canon have come out since 1971. And that number is sure to grow along with the rest of the franchise. Ranging from basic text-based games to retro stand-up arcade to console and eventually handheld, every single series within the franchise has been made into some form of video game, only further expanding its popularity. My personal favorite is Klingon Honor Guard for PC, but we'll reserve that review for next week's episode. Now, as a young, nerdy Jewish kid growing up in the suburbs, it was cool to see actors like Leonard Nimoy grace the television screen. Yes, Spock was Jewish. He even brought a bit of his Jewish experience into the show with the iconic Vulcan V greeting, which, as a young boy chick, Nimoy witnessed as part of an Orthodox Jewish blessing ritual. Now, the phrase, live long and prosper, isn't of Jewish origin so far as I know, but is meant as a universal tome of goodwill. Most know this phrase outright, but most don't know that this is just one part of the interaction. When a Vulcan bestows this honor upon another, the recipient is supposed to respond in kind with peace and long life, thus completing the interaction and true phrase being live long and prosper, peace and long life. Like many great shows, after some time and declining ratings, Star Trek unfortunately got the axe after the close of its third season. There are a number of factors contributing to what is largely considered the greatest blunder in TV entertainment history. NBC decided to cancel the show. The main factor that was cited was declining ratings and viewership. This largely had to do with an exhausted Gene Roddenberry having filled many hats during the first two seasons. During the third, however, he relinquished main control of the show to fellow producer Fred Freiberger, who was faced with the dreaded Friday 10 p.m. quote, death slot, a thinning budget, and even thinner writing staff. During a time where there were just three major television networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS, having heavy competition and a bad time slot almost ensured you were destined for cancellation. In the case of Star Trek, it was the ever-popular laugh-in comedy show that held the fledgling sci-fi show in the death slot. That's not to say the show didn't have major success after its original airing. The show entered syndication in the 1970s, which reached a whole new audience. With the release of Star Wars in 1977, the Star Trek Trekkies were, you know, they saw that there was a whole new audience for movies and began shifting from a sequel television series into a motion picture franchise. Now, this decision saw the run of several films, arcing over two series and bridging the original series to the next generation. From there, well, you'll just have to tune in for all those juicy TNG morsels of gah. This week, I got to meet up with local comedian and fellow Trekkie Dan Weber, over a couple of beers to talk Trek. So check out this interview. Well, I'm here with Dan Weber at the High Dive Bar in Portland, Oregon, beautiful Portland, Oregon, off of 12th and Hawthorne, if you ever want to take a visit. Uh, we're after the High Dive competition, if you will, uh, open mic competition. Is it a competition? It's a com- they, have a, they have a belt. Oh, they have a, They've you got can a belt. win a belt at the end if you stay late enough. If like you it, stay late enough, you <laughs> can win a you belt. Can be, you, can, you can be in the running for the belt. Yeah. yeah. That's fifth meal. Yeah, yeah, certainly. 
Yeah, I've, I've only, I've never, I usually don't stay that late. It's too, it's too much. Well, you're an actual person. <laughs> we're all, we're, we are people. We do have things going on. It's true. Yeah. Uh, Dan, what's your Instagram? My Instagram is at Daniel T. Weber. Okay. That's Weber with one B. Yep. One B. Uh, um, this B right here. Yeah. Um, uh, but also known as an elder nerd. Yes. I, I would, I would classify you as an elder nerd. No, that's a, that's accurate assessment. Okay. Yeah, cool. for sure. So, so I, now that you grew up, did you watch Star Trek, the original series, when it was syndicated? You're not that old. Uh, it was syndicated, well... It started yeah. being syndicated in the 70s, but I mean, yeah, the yeah. original airing in the 60s... No, I didn't, I wasn't, I'm okay. not old enough to have seen that. I'm okay. 51, so I was born in okay. 1970. Mm. But I did watch it when it was syndicated, like on, it was like, it would come on on like Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. So I'd watch, I'd Solid. watch it then, all, Solid. like every Sunday, really. It was kind of a... It was must viewing back then. <laughs> must see TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before Friends. This is bef- way well before. before yeah, this was the intergalactic and honestly, friendship. way more important to me than Friends ever was. Totally agree. <laughs> yeah, way better. So so that, that brings me to my first question. What is your first exposure to Star Trek? Do you remember, like, did you get an action figure? Did you see you know one of the movies that you you saw it on tell you saw it on television first television, yeah. okay i saw right it on. on television and my aunt my aunt uh was a was a trek like she considers herself a trekkie okay so she had a bunch of like star trek toys and dolls and stuff okay but i was i was watching it before i really knew what those were yeah see i can only afford funko <laughs> so I have the new stuff, like, yeah. but did you did you have an old school action figure yourself? I did not. I did you not. Did, okay, but my aunt had a. What, what did she have? What was her prized possession? It was like a there was a there was a toy that was like a a mock Star Trek Enterprise bridge, and then like she had the they were like six inches tall, like the posable act, like basically like Barbie dolls, but were like the like Spock and Kirk and Bones, and I think Solid. she had Scottish. So she had the whole crew, and she had it posed up on the mantle you know i don't i don't talk enough about bones or scotty i I talked a lot about the bridge crew in my fact parts you know but at at the end of the day that's that's who you see the most of you know you hear scotty a lot yeah shout out to dugan uh you hear bones you see bones he goes on he goes goes on away missions bones goes on away missions also just for whatever reason hanging out on the on the deck and looking like, like a sex symbol. Yeah, uh, yeah. DeForest Kelly in the movies definitely upped his, like, 70s wardrobe game and oh, brought yeah. it into the 2170s. Oh, for sure. Uh, or 2270s, rather. Oh, yeah. So, are you a serial watcher? And if so, how many times have you watched a series? Like, have you watched it more than once? Do you, do, like, because I watch TNG when I'm feeling sad. Um, I've watched uh, all of... So I watched all of the the original series. I've seen every episode of that at least once, probably multiple times, including the alternate pilots. I'm assuming. Yeah, I've seen yeah. the alternate pilot, um, and they would just they would air that. Honestly, that was very confusing for me when I was a kid because I was like, the fuck, none of the characters are the same, and they just aired it as if it was Star Trek. There right. was no no warning, like, hey. This was the uh, this was the pilot original pilot nothing like that they just showed it like not, it was a not until that tie in with Discovery with New Trek they do that yeah. opening up ep- you know that yeah. episode about the uh, oh yeah for sure yeah the uh, Asians and they're gonna do they're actually gonna make that a series about that or Talosians <laughs> yeah they're gonna they're gonna make that a series uh, with uh, I forget his name something Anson Anson Blount or something 
I can't remember. It's going to be Captain Commander Pike. Yeah, Captain the Pike. short treks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be... Not quite the five-year mission, but still... <laughs> no, they were still... They were out TV there. Time. Yeah, they were out there. They that's, were out uh, there. And that whole, the whole thing of, uh, you know, they, they were out on their first five-year mission. That's why they missed the original Klingon. Uh, what a what a tie-in. <laughs> yeah. What a... The writing staff really stayed up late on that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. They had to yeah. figure uh, out, how do we retcon all of this shit? Yeah, oh, yeah, I don't exactly. know. That's yeah. what we can do. Yeah. Well, because the, the, the Calvin alternate, you know, uh, universe with, yeah. the, with the movies, the recent movies, is like, you know, okay, well, these things never happened canonically. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a, of a throw-in. Yeah. But fun I, nonetheless. The, the first one was really good. The second one was not as good. Into Darkness. Yeah. Yeah. The one with, uh, with Khan... Yeah, uh, because uh, they tried to make him. They they kept saying he wasn't going to be Khan, and it's like that's absolutely uh, obviously going right. to be. Con. Well, how do you go from Ricardo Montalban to Benedict Cumberbatch? Batch, Patch. Batch. I think Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. Like some some the most British name ever. Right. That was a, <laughs> like, it Bertrand used to be Hugh Grant. Now yeah. now they came out with the new new. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hugh Grant, not even close. <laughs> not even. Yeah. Bertrand Cumberbatch <laughs> is like Jesus Christ. <laughs> You couldn't. You, yeah, that's as that's as British as afternoon tea. Like it's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> and crumpets. And crumpets. Yeah. yeah, tea and crumpets for sure. Uh, uh, so, so let me ask you this: Is huh? Kirk a good captain? And not in the Kelvin series, but like in the original series. Like, is he is he a decent like you know? Because we have a lot to compare him to. We've got yeah. Before New Trek, we have Picard. Yeah. We have Janeway. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, we have then uh, 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 Commander Cisco and eventually Captain Cisco. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Captain Archer. Well, but, but but we don't. I mean, unless you've got <laughs> faith in the heart, we don't talk about him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, do I think he's a good captain? Uh, probably not. Yeah. Not, he just takes a lot of risks. Like a lot like, of risks. A lot of risks. Yes. And but not like. Relatively unconcerned about the the health of most of the people on the Starship Enterprise. Like, yeah. if somebody, if he, if and he, the hierarchy, like yeah. largely himself. Like, he's just yeah. like, I'm going on every away mission. I, I'm the yeah. centerpiece. Because yeah. at least Picard had Riker. You know, yeah. Riker was like, I'm not. You know, I gotta let you. You know, yeah. like, I think that's why they added that character in, right? To make so it would make sense that the captain didn't throw his life into immediate danger every single every every, every, every yeah. chance he got. Like, right. I, I might get killed. Now we gotta. Gotta let number one die. That'll, yeah. that'll work out just fine. Well, and at least with Pike, there was like a cerebral plot yeah. to the whole him going down there. Like, all right, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> with, you know, Kirk, it's always like, I'm going to gunsling or I'm going to shoot, you know, shoot yeah. from the hip in some way, shape or form. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely his stilo. No, um, I think, I think he was a, he was a terrible captain. Honestly. Yeah. But I mean, prime, you know, prime, it, so was the prime, the prime directive wasn't really introduced until TNG. Yeah. So it was really this, like, you know, as Spock later said, you know, Wild West diplomacy. Like, you know, just <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like, all right, we're just going to, you know, make it happen. Yeah. Uh, we're going we're gonna to tie a paper cone onto a dog's head and call it a pet. You know? It's, yeah. It's uh, pretty, it was, yeah, he was, he was bad. That, yeah. that I never really thought about it. But yeah, he was pretty terrible. Um, as as far as how you would expect a Starfleet captain to 
behave. exercise and behave. Yeah. He didn't even, so it wasn't until the movies that he said execute. Yeah, yeah. As his, he was just like, I'm just going to do it. I'm, I'm not letting anybody else know. It's yeah, just yeah. going to happen. Yeah. And then we'll figure it out from there. Legitimately, I think he was, one of the reasons that you know he was a bad captain was the, uh, the Mirror Mirror Universe uh, Captain Kirk was not that much different. Right. He was not like the only difference was he murdered people to get to be captain, but yeah. that's literally it. So, t- so Taron Kirk. Yeah. He it, was he was immediately pegged in the in the new, in the actual universe as like oh this isn't our guy. Yeah. But really, it wasn't that much of a stretch. It was, it was, like, it was only because he was a little bit more homicidal than actual and, Kirk. And it made sense insofar as, like, Kirk being able to go the opposite way into yeah. Terran territory, which is always the case. I mean, you look yeah. at DS9 when they do that deep Terran stuff, you know, yeah. like, it, 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 they, in the Discovery, they sure. try to tie it back in. And, you know, it, it's like, you know, there was always an ease of the good guys going into the bad territory. Yeah. You know, it's like, there's no fudging of that kind of ability yeah but i mean uh, the uh, discovery in particular that one guy disguised himself as like a good universe person for a long time yeah captain uh, what's his face I can't remember yeah it. i can't either this that's is great too, this is great for the cast yeah because I, I, I love actually well, you love know discovery but i go i don't the first season i've kind of blocked out of my mind you know what this is about the original series so we're yeah. not even talking about new uh, track we don't even have to be on the spot for this even or if it's going to make the <laughs> cast who knows i yeah, I, yeah. I, who even knows? Uh, but what you know? Speaking of which, what is your thought on New Trek? Because there's stuff like even you know there there was an old animated series which sure it was, unless it's, you, it's awesome it's okay. it's it's, it's uh, <laughs> well I mean awesome some of them are really dumb but it's extraordinarily psychedelic like the, mm. the, the like the animation is insane okay so you you suggest hallucinogens if attempting Dude, to yeah if you want to it, it's best, really enjoy it's, the scope yeah of, it's yeah. best viewed on mushrooms okay for sure for sure okay <laughs> then you're gonna be like oh this all makes sense now the people yeah. who drew this were clearly high as fuck mm. um yeah for sure 100 percent. well because now we have lower decks yeah, yeah, you know, and which is which is fun, and it's all it, it's. There's a lot of inclusivity. You yeah. see that in in Discovery, and that is a, a theme throughout Star Trek. I talked yeah. about it in the facts, and so far as like you know, there there was uh, Nichelle Nichols, the yeah. Lieutenant Uhura. There was it showed uh, the first interracial kiss on TV. That, they, yeah, they did. They've done all of like a lot of the firsts that have happened in TV happened on Star Trek. Absolutely, sure. the the highest uh, ranking member of the bridge crew, other than Spock, or the highest ranking person of color, was uh, was Sulu. Yeah, uh, George Takei, and then uh, of course we have uh, Ensign uh, Chekhov. Yeah, who during the time, I mean, during the Cold yeah. War, <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, like, it was like, yeah, hey, forget really, about it. Really, you know, like, really crazy that they had him on there. But yeah. yeah, it's fucking great. Yeah, nuclear vessels. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. He he did say that. It was kind of a caricature, but you know you can forgive it. He helped save the whales. That's all mm-hmm. I care about. You know, and and at the end of the day, what more can you ask for? That's true. Uh, so, you've seen the animated series? Yes, I've seen. Yeah. I've seen the animated series. I watched it. I remember. I watched it when I was a kid, and then they have it on. Um, I think it's Paramount Plus or something, so occasionally I'll, I'll fire that up. They do. And watch an episode or two, and then be like, I remember this, and this is weird. Is that trauma why you do comedy today? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> it's not that bad. Okay, it's, okay. It's, all right, it's, fair it's, enough. It's something that I, I, I legitimately enjoy. Okay, but, good. But, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's not. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone else. I wouldn't be like, you need to watch. Yeah. Like, if you love Star Trek... 
this will test your ability to really like what it does. Gotcha. And do this, so smoke a lot of weed before you see it, and okay. then it'll be better. That usually helps with, a, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you're trying to match uh, Dr. Crusher, you gotta smoke at least three blunts. <laughs> yeah. And that future weed, I mean, you know, look at the weed from when you were growing up to when I was growing up, and even now. Yeah, oh, it's, 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 it's so much different. So different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, the idea of a dab like in in 1993 it was like so you'd have been like what in the f why is a what what does a blowtorch have to do with anything it's fucking insane yeah my buddy of mine works in this is totally off topic but a buddy of mine that works in the in the can used to work in the cannabis industry told me that some guy invented snortable weed and i'm like there's no fucking reason for this dude it's like, like is this the civil war like is snuff making a comeback but with it doesn't weed? make any sense like, at is it all. just pure keef like you're just yeah. <laughs> i don't even know like it's supposedly just like immediately stoned i'm like well i guess yeah you know the next thing you know people are going to be chopping up lines of that with coke just making a yeah. poor man hippie speedball well it used to be the woo blunt you'd roll a blunt <laughs> and, and sprinkle a little cocaine in there yeah. and then you'd you channel method man <laughs> yeah. I have smoked You I got the ghost face killer. No fucking fun. Inspector Deck, the whole 36 chambers of death. Um, so so what do you think of Gene Roddenberry? I mean, obviously a visionary and yeah. we covered a number of facts earlier in the episode. But what what is your overall impression of him? Because he's known to be a, a womanizer, a boozer, a overachiever, overextender. I mean, but he also created one of the most influential shows of all time. Yeah, I think he was at heart. I mean, legitimately, he must have been at heart an optimist because he like, Star Trek has <laughs> a very positive view of the future of humanity. Yeah, and it doesn't yeah. like it's, very pro U.S. view too. Well, it, I mean, it seems it, like that you back know. then. Yeah, but right. he didn't really have a choice. No. Uh, if he wanted to get into, into <laughs> broadcast, yeah. if he wanted to live in the U.S. and put out a show on on any kind of channel, it was going to have to be somewhat pro-U.S. government. Yeah. But, well, that's why he made Lieutenant first. Yeah. He, he and that and he had you know Nichelle Nichols, Walter Koenig, uh, Leonard Nimoy, a number of others on that show. You know, Majel Barrett, his future yeah. wife. Yeah, a, a number of people on this show. That, that was like the mainline mainstream, like, I'm going to give the people what they want. It's yeah. about a lieutenant in the Army Corps, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Which was fine. Yeah. But, but it, you know, it wasn't anything to write home about. <laughs> no. This this was something that was, like, other than, the, you know, uh, Lost in Space, there wasn't much, you know, and Doctor Who in, in, in Britain, there yeah. wasn't really anything to go off of visually for, you know, television, sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. No, he... Uh... Yeah, I, I legitimately think he had a very a very positive outlook on the future of humanity. Yeah. So he must. And it, I mean, it's a post uh, scarcity world that he invented. So yeah, like, totally. No one really legitimately could ever go hungry. Well, imagine doing this five years earlier, or ten years earlier, rather. Yeah. I mean, you know, like in the throes of McCarthyism. Yeah. Yeah. He, he would have been labeled a commie and had to have jumped out of building. You know, like. <laughs> he did. that is that is accurate. Like, I mean, legitimate. Yeah, he kind of. It's sort of a communist, a communist, and it's not. It's not a democracy. Like the the, the Starfleet and all of that. It's not. There's not. A, they very. They kind of allude to like voting a little, but for the most part. It's a military republic. Right. And so, in that sense, not really pro-America in any way, shape, or form. It's more of a, like, here's, here's how I think utopia would work. Or, like, 
a utopian ideal in the future. Sure. Well, as we all know, utopia is a crapshoot because mine is different than yours and therefore yeah. can never exist. Yeah. It's kind of like Schrodinger's cat. Is, <laughs> yes. is utopia potential exist? Yeah probably not and then and then he actually had an episode with space hippies which was even better where they go <laughs> to eden and eden's just, just a planet made of poison right yeah well and there's a lot of that kind of commentary where yeah. where you know they come across these planets that are seemingly you know utopia inistic or you know edenistic yeah. and it's like well but there's always an undertone of some sort of nefarity <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like, almost always yeah, yeah. almost always um, so I'll, we'll end with this. Uh, Dan, tell me, which character do you identify with the most and why? Oh, uh, when I was a kid, for sure, I idolized Spock. I wouldn't say I identified with him so much as, like, wanted to be like Spock. Like, you know, he didn't, nothing ever bothered him. Right. Uh, he didn't have any emotions, which was, like... A real, a real positive for me when I was a kid. Oh, same. Yeah, growing up in a shitty household, yeah. the last thing you want to do is feel all the shittiness. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, if you're just yeah, like, so like, oh, this I... logically doesn't make any sense. Perfect. I don't right. give a shit. Yeah. Uh, Great disconnect. I, I wouldn't say that I'm anything like... Uh, <laughs> I didn't end up being anything like Spock. In execution, no, kind of no. missed the... Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe... Uh, uh, I would... Probably it would have to be uh, Bones. Okay. Probably the doctor, because he never, he doesn't really ever take anything too seriously, and he's always like. Other <laughs> than lot. transporting, yeah, he's not a, not a fan of the transport. No. But everything else he's fine with. <laughs> yeah. And and it normally his the big thing he's like, yeah, I recommend you drink some whiskey. Like he just <laughs> right. he's just like straight up. He had a uh, very like uh you know uh madman approach yeah. to <laughs> to medicine. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't give a sh I mean he was drunk all of the time. Yeah. And uh, I was much more like that when I was younger. The the older I've gotten, the less I've gotten like that, but in my twenties and thirties, man. Damn. Well, hey. Bones is a great person to identify with. I 100% support it. Dan, thank you so much for this interview. I appreciate it. Where can we see you next here in Portland? Um, I will be running a show on uh, Saturday the 20th at 10 p.m. at Funhouse Lounge called Reading the Bible with Dan. It's going to be a panel show where we just read the Bible and make fun of it. And we're going to do Genesis 19, which is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. So that's... If you think you know how terrible it is, you are wrong. It is so much worse than you think it would be. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> oh, oh, nice. <laughs> All right, well, we'll save that pillar of salt for another episode. Thank you, Dan, again so much. Thank you. All my fellow nerds, thanks for checking in. And I'm going to leave you with a nifty little water cooler fact after this. So stay tuned, folks. Time for your water cooler fact. Now... Lieutenant Nyota Uhura, played by Nichelle Nichols, had a real-life brother named Thomas Nichols, who gained fame through entirely different means than his sister. Thomas was a member of the now-infamous Heaven's Gate cult, which had 39 of its members, including founder Marshall Applewhite and Thomas Nichols, commit collective suicide in 1997 in the suburbs of San Diego. Now, Thomas had joined the cult back in roughly 1977 and was an active member for more than 20 years, having come back in and out of society, 
preferring the isolation and nomadic lifestyle that the cult provided. Now, the Heaven's Gate mass suicide still marks the largest cult-based mass suicide in U.S. history, definitely to take place on U.S. soil, with 39 members voluntarily taking their own lives with a cocktail of applesauce, vodka, and pure craziness, only to be bested by the top scoreholder, Jim Jones, and the then San Francisco-based People's Temple. And although what is often considered to be more of a mass murder than a mass suicide, and truth be told in part, it was with over 300 members involuntarily committing suicide, or just straight up being shot in the head by security forces, that the total body count at the end of the day in Jonestown, Guyana, was 918. Heaven's Gate, however, was rooted heavily in both religious fundamentalism and in science fiction. Their belief, in short, is that both God and Jesus are spacefaring aliens who inhabited human bodies and in turn influenced human history. I mean, talk about violating the prime directive. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, furthermore, their leader, Marshall Applewhite, was obsessed with sci-fi and used the social commentary and parallels shown in various series and shows to help frame his insane beliefs in ways that people could relate to. Now, their core belief toward the end of the line was that a UFO was trailing the Hale-Bopp comet and that they would have to vacate their human bodies willingly in order to hitch a ride with Space Jesus. Now, I don't mean to mock, but that is ostensibly what their beliefs and motivations were. Now, the members were also super into Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which we'll cover in a future episode, and Thomas Nichols would promote the fact that he was the brother of Lieutenant Uhura, both as a nerd brag and to entice potential members when on the road. When asked during an interview about her brother, Nichelle Nichols simply stated, My brother was a highly intellectual and beautifully gentle man. He made his choices, and we respect those choices. Both an eloquent and kind thing of her to say about her brother, with all of the conjecture and rumors surrounding his circumstances. Nichelle Nichols, by the way, having a farewell tour. This is going to be the last year you can see her at conventions or, or otherwise in public. Uh, so go ahead and check that out. Google that. Uh, Nichelle Nichols' farewell tour. She'll, I'm sure, be coming to a city near you. So check that out and see Lieutenant Uhura for one last time. So there you have it, your water cooler fact of the week. Go ahead and Share that one at the water cooler with your friends or coworkers. usually not the same people, but you're forced to spend the day with them anyway, so might as well make it an interesting one. All right, here are some quick facts from ScreenRant.com. They have a very good article about some of the lesser known facts regarding Star Trek. Now, one that I did know and I think is very interesting and is reflective of not only Kirk, the character, but Shatner as an actor, is that Shatner has never watched a single episode. Now, it's not specific to Star Trek either. He's avoided watching any of his, uh, if he can help it, any of his filmed uh, pieces. I guess he was a one-take kind of guy. Now, uh, in addition to that, uh, Spock was supposed to be red. 
Yeah, his skin was going to be red, and instead of his yellow-tinted skin, uh, for which would become, uh, and well, and tan skin, which would become popular with Vulcans, uh, you know, he was supposed to be somewhat devilistic, which is, uh, you know, thankfully that didn't happen because I think that would be a little bit too cheesy for my, my take. Now, another thing is that, uh, speaking of Spock, that kiss, that interracial kiss that was so famous, uh, Spock was actually supposed to be the, uh, the kisser with Uhura still being the kiss E. However, uh, William Shatner, with that room-sized ego of his, decided, uh, no, you will not, quote, if anyone's going to be part of the first interracial kiss in television history, it's going to be me. So they rewrote it. Now, that's according to Nichelle Nichols. I don't know if that's a verbatim quote, but that does sound like something that uh, Shatner would insist upon, or at least earlier in his life. He seems to have become much sweeter in his old age. Uh, and thankfully he did get to see the edge of space, which is kind of cool. Kind of cool. If you ask me, nobody asked me, but I'm telling you. So I think it's cool. Now NBC, even though they did end up airing and syndicating Star Trek, they did reject the first pilot, the cage, um, or menagerie. So it looks as though they, nearly flubbed it twice. I, they, they did. Well, I, I suppose they did, especially with canceling it. Canceling it was a bad call. I would say that that's not the best way to go about continuing the most prolific series in <coughs> sci-fi history. Um, now, we, we talked a lot about Nichelle Nichols, and, you know, although she did play a very pivotal and rare role uh, in, in, you know, in the Times as a black female actress, uh, she did face her, uh, you know, her share of adversity. It was the sixties after all. She says, quote, there were instances where I was turned away from entering the studio at the walk on gate. And I had to go all the way back around to the front gate, sign in and come back. A guard on the set told me I had no right to be there. They had replaced a blue eyed blonde with me. She recalled which is blatant and flagrant racism, and I'm sure was a horrible thing to have to deal with. Um, she has, in turn, and I always say that success is the best revenge, uh, has in turn become one of the most prolific black female actors in history. So, good on the show. Now, it looks as though Roddenberry also had his hand in the pie in ways that he kind of wasn't supposed to. Now, the theme for Star Trek is obviously you know, universal. Everybody recognizes it. And even though composer Alexander Courage wrote the music for the theme when Star Trek was picked up by NBC, uh, it looks as though Gene Roddenberry claimed half of the royalties as an early agreement between Courage and the broadcast company. So, good on him for foresight. That is some George Lucas-level foresight. Um, although kind of a shady back deal, if you ask me. Now, it looks as though Shatner didn't have just a big ego on film, but also on paper. Uh, now, his behavior on film has been subject to a lot of stipulation, rumor, and conjecture. But aside from all of this, uh, he claimed that his con- the producers claimed that Shatner's contract 
required him to have the most lines in each episode, and other characters' lines had to be cut for this reason. Now, this has a lot to do with the development of the show in general. The number one fact on Screen Rant's article has to do with the fact that Roddenberry had to choose between Spock and number one, number one being his wife at the time. When Gene Roddenberry rewrote the pilot for Star Trek, he had an important choice to make. Roddenberry compromised by eliminating one of them, having to choose between Spock and number one. He chose Spock because he believed the character had more story potential, but he gave Spock the emotionless, logical aspect of number one. And it's interesting to note that Matchell Barrett suggested Leonard Nimoy for the role of Spock. So if it weren't for that particular nuance, we wouldn't have Spock in the position that he is in today, or would he have been elaborated on in such a way as opposed to a female number one who, who knows what that would have done for history, but would be very cool to see. And we do see in the future in a number of different instances throughout Trek canon. So there are your lightning facts, your speed facts, your faster than light, your warp drive, dilithium core, trilithium output, those are your facts. Wow, what a great set of facts. And I know what you must be thinking. I didn't talk at all about Spock's shout-out in Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song. And you'd normally be right to chastise me for leaving up such a juicy fact. But this is only the tip of the iceberg. We will be revisiting the original series in the future, but only after going through some more canon and pepper in some variety. Tune in next week, same place, same time, here on Shady Pines Radio. We couldn't do it without your help and the help of listeners just like you. Please be sure to show Shady Pines Radio some love, whatever currency you have, whether that's legal tender or social tender. I'd like to give a shout out to my lovely wife and research assistant, Amanda. Thank you for the continued love and support of Sci-Fi. Our sources for this episode include Wikipedia, because if it's on Wikipedia, it must be true. The awesome documentary, The Center Seat, which is not only factually rich, but is well-made. MemoryAlpha.Fandom.com, which is super awesome. And lastly, but not leastly, my fellow nerds over at StarTrek.com, where one can get lost in the final frontier. Next week, we take a look at the next link in the television series chain of Star Trek, The Next Generation. Picard, Riker's beard, what's the deal with Data and Yar? I'd rather see Worf and Troy over Riker and Troy any day. And where did Dr. Crusher go while Dr. Pulaski was busy being mean to Data? And a bunch more to cover. So tune back in on Tuesdays from 8 to 9, only on Shady Pines Radio. As always, live long and prosper. Peace and long life, my friends.